Ladies and gentlemen, please notice that exits are conveniently located at the front and rear of this auditorium. When leaving the theater, we suggest that the exit at the front of the auditorium will allow you easier access to the parking areas. Thank you. We've just lost 90% of our young audience out there. Who's Susan Lucci? I don't know why they're an old lady voice, but anyways. And he'd be like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> he, Yeah, exactly. For all you want. Agree to disagree. <laughs> Disney fight. <laughs> <laughs> See, two dudes talking about Disney. Oh. Ah, so many viewers. We just lost something. <laughs> Hi, I'm Mike Field. And I'm Mike Butler. And you're listening to the Forgotten Cinema Podcast. Each episode, we highlight a film that, for a variety of reasons, was forgotten by audiences. Whether it's because a more popular movie was released at the same time, or the movie simply didn't catch on with an audience in its initial run. We'll discuss what we love about the movie, or perhaps don't love about it, but we'll always recommend you revisit it. If you enjoy our podcast, please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. Hello. Hi. Welcome. Happy Valentine's Day. Happy. That's not yet. A couple days. Yeah. Yeah. We're close enough. Happy Valentine's <laughs> Day to you, too. I hope you have a good one. You'll make sure that you're working. I'll probably. Yeah, I was going to say I'll probably. Be at the Is it a weekend? This year? Oh, uh, God, if it's on a weekend, we're screwed. Well, it'll be busy. It might be a Friday, right? No. It's a Friday. Is it really? Oh, man. We're dead. I'm not working. Uh, you <laughs> Who cares about that, though? <laughs> so, so this episode, we're going to be talking about, it's not really a romantic comedy, more like a romantic drama. Yes. Uh, is We're talking about Meet Joe Black. This movie was released on November 13th, 1998, a Friday. It has a runtime of 178 minutes. Oh, it is super long. <laughs> uh, <laughs> rated PG-13, production budget of $90 million. Opening weekend, it did 15 million. Domestic, 44 million. And worldwide, 143 million. So, as you can tell, it did better internationally. Yes. Why that's the case, I don't know. Hopkins? Could be Hopkins, could be Pitt. Uh, Could be the fact that it was based on a a play by a French uh, writer, uh, Death Takes a Holiday. Or a French writer? No, I'm sorry, a Spanish writer. uh, La Morta in Vacanza is, uh, I believe. I didn't, well, his name is Alberto Casella. So, let's just assume it. Yes. So Friday, November 13th, you're, you're probably a week ahead or a couple weeks before Thanksgiving. So this is um this is the kind of a, a, a nice open, a nice uh, date to open. Excuse me. Exactly. Yep. yep. It opened up against I Still Know What You Did Last Summer. <laughs> I'll Be Home for Christmas, the JTT movie, which is awful. Yep. And Welcome to Whoop Whoop. I only put that in there because I like the title. I have never seen it. <laughs> never heard of it. Never seen it. I just put it in there because I like the title. <laughs> The week prior to this movie, on the I'm talking November 6th, you had The Waterboy, The Siege, Belly, Velvet Goldmine, Elizabeth, and Gods and Monsters. That is a lot. I've never seen The Siege, but I always wanted to. Siege is, the Siege is good. Tony Shalhoub, uh, Denzel Washington. Uh, it's good. Yeah. I like it. Uh, the week, uh, Annette Benning's in that too. Uh, the week after the November 20th, so the week after this movie came out, Meet Joe Black, we had the Rugrats movie. This is probably up to Thanksgiving. The Rugrats movie, Enemy of the State, Celebrity, Waking Ned Divine, A Bug's Life, and Taxi. The fun fact about the Rugrats movie, uh, it was actually one of my favorite movie experiences when I was younger because I was in elementary school at this point, 1998, so I was probably 11. Yeah, I was 11. So I got, I remember uh, getting out of school, and mom picked me up like always, only we didn't go home, we drove the opposite way, and I was like, where are we going, where are we going? She pulled in the parking lot, we were at the uh, Cherry Street Theater in Milford, 
uh, Connecticut, where I live. Not there anymore. Not there anymore. And uh, she brought me to see the Rugrats movie nice. after, after school. And I was like, one of the only times. Usually we saw movies uh, as a family on the weekend, and it was planned out. Yeah. But this was just a surprise trip. Hey, let's go. Why? I think she just wanted me to surprise me with the Rugrats because she knew I liked the Rugrats. So cool. Me and my brother see the Rugrats. So. Oh, do you want a tissue? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's very good. Nah, so we're not talking about the Rugrats. We're talking about Meet Joe Black. A uh, movie I did not see last week. We're going to see Meet Joe Black, honey. Um, directed by Martin Brest. He is the director of Scent of a Woman, Midnight Run, Beverly Hills Cop, and Geely. The movie that ruined his career. Did it ruin his career? He hasn't done anything since. I noticed. I was like, he was I, a big time guy. I don't know. Nothing. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I tried to look and try to see if there's something in, in terms of like the research, but I don't know. Maybe he just lost, didn't want to do it anymore. Wrote and directed it. I don't know. I don't know. If you it's haven't seen Geely, I mean, you should. Uh, it's considered one of the worst movies of all time. Yeah, I don't, man, I don't know. But anyways, Mitchell Black was written by a bunch of people. <laughs> written yes. by the original script, I believe, was Ron Osborne and Jeff Reno. Are you just going in order of the IMDb? By no, 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 okay. no, 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 no. Because I read the, cause listen, they wrote it together. Because okay. if when you look at credits, I know you know this, but when you look at writing credits and you see the spelled out and, A-N-D. Yes. That means that they wrote it together. Mm-hmm. When you start seeing the ampersand, did I say that right? Yeah. Yeah. The little that little symbol that means that they did a rewrite. They did enough of a rewrite where they got credit for it. There's yes. probably honestly, there's four writers here. Two of them did rewrites. I'm sure that there were more. There were probably uncredited rewrites as well. So those aren't going to. But but you, you you get paid not to have your name on there. Well, yeah, Martin Brest is a writer as well. So I would imagine that he probably touched. Sure. The well, he produced he this movie it. too. Yeah. He, it's his production company. So Ron Osborne and Jeff Reno did the original script. They did Moonlighting a TV show that starred Sybil Shepard and uh, Bruce Willis. Mm-hmm. You may have heard of him. And Radio Land Murders. That was the other George Lucas movie that he directed. Although and he did American Graffiti too. Duckman. And uh, I did not have Duckman. <laughs> I just thought it was funny they both did. <laughs> then you had Kevin Wade come in and do a rewrite. Obviously, he had written Working Girl. That was the Harrison Ford, Sigourney Reaver, Melanie Griffith movie. Blue Bloods. I, he, right now, he's been doing Blue Bloods on TV, basically. And he wrote Junior, which I always like because I'm pregnant. So anyways, uh, <laughs> that's when Harrison Schwarzenegger is pregnant. And then another rewrite by Bo Goldman. Uh, his most notable are One Flew Over the Cougar's Nest and Melvin Howard, which he won Academy Awards for. And Son of a Woman. With well, yeah, partners. but I was doing the Academy Award winner once. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, but like we said, there's probably some uncredited rewrites in there, too. Cinematography by Emmanuel Lubezki. Did I say that right? Yes. Okay. Uh, I'm just going to give you three movies, Birdman, Gravity, and The Revenant. He won Academy Awards for all those three. That's why I put him in there. Uh, We talked about Martin Brest produced this. Music by Thomas Newman, who has never won an Academy Award. He has been nominated 14 times and never won. And I know you're... uh, Listen, I already know you want to do the the Bond movies. I don't like his Bond movie scores. Really? I love Thomas Newman, but I hate his Bond movie scores because they are not bombastic enough, and I don't think they carry the style of James Bond into the new century. He also did 1917. I'm excited for that, and I love his soundtrack for the Pixar movies. How do you not win? 14 nods? I'm I'm shocked. Give the man an Oscar! He's one of the few, like, when you hear names for, for scores, you think Thomas Newman. Will you please someone give this guy an Oscar, please? 1917. Maybe that's going to be his one. It was 15th nomination. <laughs> He's like the Susan Lucci of the Oscars. <laughs> We've just lost 90% of our young audience out there. Who's Susan Lucci? I don't know why they're an old lady voice, but anyways. Uh, <laughs> all right. Starring Brad Pitt as Joe Black or Death, as you may know him. You know who Brad Pitt's from, right, everyone? Uh, Anthony Hopkins as William Parrish. He... Won an Oscar for Silence of the Lambs, Oscar award winning uh, 
Anthony Hopkins. Brad Pitt is also an Oscar winner, but he actually won for uh, producing. Twelve Years a Slave. Oh, that's he, right. Yeah. Okay, yep. so he won an Oscar for that, not for acting, but for producing. But hey, an Oscar is an Oscar. I remember. I remember when they went up on stage and Brad Pitt was on. I was like, Yeah, he was in it, but he produced. Yeah, it. I yeah. didn't know. Yeah. Hey guys, quick side note: Mike Butler here. As you all know, we record these episodes weeks ahead of time. And since then, Brad Pitt has just recently won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So now he has a producing Oscar and an acting Oscar. Congratulations, Brad. Now on with the episode. Claire Forlani as Susan Parrish. She is Bill Parrish's daughter. Uh, she is from Mallrats, Mystery Men, The Rock, and that's it. She's no longer around. <laughs> I, oh, I, I was watching this and I turned to my wife and I'm like, you remember when Claire Forlani was like the it girl and then she was everywhere? Where the heck she go? She's done a couple of small things. I saw no, I know. TV, but yeah. But she was like, like she was all over the place at some point during the mid 90s and late 90s. I was surprised she doesn't do as much because, I mean, I know it's like almost 20 years after. Oh, yeah. Sensen, sure. But sure. like she's still very pretty. I'm I didn't realize she was British. Yeah. I didn't realize she was British. Did you not realize she was British? Uh, me neither. Yeah, but yeah. she moved to America in '91. I whatever. So. I mean, it's just you know. But yeah, I I don't know why. I mean, can we see more? She's good. Yeah, I like her. Uh, well, yeah, I like her. Jake Weber. <laughs> at, Jake Weber as Drew. Uh, he's more, uh, probably people more know him from the Medium TV series, but he's also in Dawn of the Dead. He was a great jerk, and he's a great jerk in this one. Was he? A, he was a good guy in Dawn of the Dead, though. Right? I'm talking I haven't about seen in this while. one. But what, he was like the hero character. Him no, and he, the lady were like the main hero uh, characters, right? I don't remember. I only saw parts of Dawn of the Dead. You didn't see all that? No. I know you don't like zombie movies. I don't. But I Dawn no, of the Dead. No interest. It's Zack Snyder. Uh, so it's, it's a tough another sell. Another reason. It's a tough <laughs> sell. But Dawn of the Dead is actually very well done. And actually I've seen enough of it. I've yeah. seen the stuff where they're, you know, picking off people on top of the building. I've seen all that stuff. It's, it's more the stuff in the mall and with the, the people stuff. It's the same nonsense. I don't care. I there's like countless zombie stuff everywhere. Yeah, enough is enough. That's good. That's great. Fantastic. And it was before it was everywhere. That's fine. It's just I'm tired of it. I'm done with it. I'm sorry. I'm gonna watch this. <laughs> Marsha Gay. I'm, I'm ignoring you. It's Marcia, forgotten cinema. Marsha Gay Harden as Allison. <laughs> She's the daughter of well, Bill Parrish and the sister to Susan Parrish. She's from uh, the Mist, Mystic River, the Newsroom TV show. She is an Oscar award winner for the movie Pollock. And Jeffrey Tambor as Quince. You may know him from Rest Development, Transparent, and uh, did you see Death of Stalin yet on HBO? You should see that. It's really funny. Is it? Yeah, it's really funny. Uh, and what's what's also funny is that these six actors are, that's it. Like, there's other people in the movie that have small lines here and there, but this is it for the cast. These six people. Yeah. If well, you don't, I, if you don't I would even say the other character would be, you only like. Who? Uh, Lois Kelly Miller plays the Jamaican woman who's only cast as. Uh, okay, but I think she's very. I I listed her on my notes because I think she did a very good job. Oh, that, I think she that, was really their good. scene together is is very strong. Yeah, absolutely. Both scenes. Anytime they, they yeah. Well, we'll get to that. Yep. So actually, you know, we can just. Well, this is loosely just one more fact before we. I did some of the Oscar nods, but I want to get to some of the other facts before we start getting into what it's about. about. This movie's loosely based, in, it says it's inspired by the play Death Takes a Holiday, which I just talked about before, loosely based on it. But it was an earlier screenplay from that play that was written by Walter Ferris. Uh, he had written uh, just one notable thing, the Swiss Family Robinson from 1940, and also from Maxwell Anderson, who wrote the screenplay with him. And he is known for All Quiet on the Western Front from the third, from 1930 and Key Largo from 1948. Was this screenplay the same screenplay that was the 1932 film? I do not believe. I believe that this script that they wrote here is is more inspired Black by than both. The other one is ins- no, no, no. The script okay. that Beat Joe Black, the movie that we're talking about, that was written by four people, yeah. is inspired by the play and the earlier screenplay because they did the movie that take a that takes a holiday. Okay, that, right, yeah, yeah that, okay. It's inspired by both of that, but it's not. A, I don't think it's a complete. You know, 
What's the word I'm looking for? Faithful. Yes. And adapt, right. adaptation. Yeah, absolutely. So why don't, before we get into it, hmm. why don't you talk about what Meet Joe Black is about for anyone that has never seen or never heard of this before. All right. Meet Joe Black is about death and Anthony Hopkins, basically. <laughs> it's basically <laughs> the movie. But Hopkins plays William Parrish. Uh, he's a big time media mogul who has been having hearing voices. He's been ill lately. And it turns out that's the voice of death. Death visits Bill Parrish. He wants to take a vacation to experience what it is to be human. And he's kind of chosen Bill as his vessel or not as his vessel. He's chosen Bill as his guide because he believes that Bill kind of represents some of the best of humanity. He can show him the most of what it is to be human. Uh, to do that, Brad Pitt or death has taken the body of Brad Pitt, a young man who Bill's daughter, Susan, coincidentally, I, I believe it's a coincidence, met earlier in the day and kind of fell for, unfortunately, the young man died in a car accident off, well, not off screen, but when no one was looking and death well, has taken his body. Yeah. yeah. So Bill is about to celebrate his 65th birthday with a huge lavish birthday party set up by his daughter, Allison, played by uh, Marsha Gay Harden. And he's also negotiating a merger of his company by another huge media company. So Bill's got to deal with knowing his death is imminent, showing death itself around, <laughs> and also negotiating this merger, dealing with his giant birthday party, and, and basically trying to say goodbye to his daughters and make sure his daughters are having a good life. So over the course of the film, death falls for Susan, as Susan was already kind of enamored with him during their brief encounter in the young man's life. Bill obviously doesn't like that death is falling in love with Susan. Bill finds out that the merger with his company might not be all it seems to be. Drama ensues. <laughs> <laughs> it basically, it's a love story between death and Susan, but also a father-daughter story about a, a father saying goodbye to his daughters and leaving behind a legacy. Yeah, I think it's about a lot of that. I, I think it has to do just with living your life you know, the right way. Right. And, and especially, especially cause he chooses Bill Parrish because he's lived his life the right way. He's a good man. He, you know, and he wants to be, and he, he's a good instructor. He says at one point, you know, he, he, cause he wants to learn about life, which I thought was a little odd that he didn't know a lot about life a little bit, you know? Yeah. That's a little, that's actually a good place to start. Start with death is his, his character. Okay. We can start with uh, his performance. I think when he's the spectral form of him, which I think is a fantastic scene when Hopkins meets death himself at the first time. And, he, and he's he invites the shape him to of the, the skull, library. the yeah. shape of the skull in the, in the window pane. I love that. Scene. Yeah. Yeah. And I love the way it's acted out. I love that. It's a combination of Brad Pitt and uh, Anthony Hopkins voices. Well, the, the first one, when he says yes, when he's in bed and that's, that's his voice. That's just his voice. Yeah. 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 But he becomes more of a merger when he's in the library. When, when he becomes, yeah. When he becomes the guy, the man in the coffee shop, as his character is known as. Yeah. Who are you? Just think of millenniums multiplied by eons, compounded by time without end. I've been around that long, but it's only recently that your affairs here have piqued my interest. Call it boredom, the natural curiosity of me, the most lasting and significant element in existence, has come to see you. About what? I want to have a look around before I take you. That death is more sure of himself. That death is is wiser. That death is is much more ethereal. And then as yeah. he gets into the body, all of a sudden he doesn't know anything. And I don't know if that's a conscious choice or if they were just like, death's really wise and he's in this body. And now death's not so wise. I but maybe death yeah. just knows about death, but he doesn't know about 
being a person. Well, he may know about, or death himself may know about what people do, what people say, what people act, but he's never felt those emotions. So when he's inside the body of a man, of a human, suddenly feeling those emotions throws him off. Yeah. He is suddenly having to deal with the fact that he is having human emotion and human thoughts and human reactions to what's happening around him. That when he starts to fall in love with Susan, he at first doesn't understand it. Then he understands that it is good. And, you know, so in that respect, uh, you know, he's never understood what taste peanut butter tastes like, which we talked about. Yes. Uh, so and I think maybe it's that's what that's what the new feelings are. Like, it's almost like when he's at the board meeting and Drew is giving him an attitude, he doesn't understand that he's getting an attitude. Not at first. No, no, I yeah. get that. No, absolutely. It's very tough because I know that Pitt's performance is sometimes ridiculed by people. And I get that, you know, like, because it's just like, why is he so stunted? Why is he, you know, it's purposeful. I, I, I agree. Yeah, agree. Right. Of course it's purposeful. Yeah. 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 Um, (laughs) So, and it's also, but once you kind of talk about or talk through like what he is supposed to be experiencing in terms of what death is supposed to be experiencing through this, this, this body, this human body, then you kind of understand how he behaves. You kind of understand a little bit how he, cause he warms up to Susan. Like when his first interactions with Susan as death, he's like very, not simpleton, but he's just very, you know, I guess simpleton. I guess he's very like stunted. He almost. is. I mean, yeah. most of it is is very much like, yes, death is wise and stuff. But when he gets in the body, he's a child. His yes. movements are he's never moved before. He's mm-hmm. never walked before. Yeah. He's never spoken before. Looked through eyes. Mm-hmm. This is already a 178 minute movie. I don't think you want to take another 10 minutes to have him explain Expl- that. And right. you don't want it doesn't that need to be explained. Yeah, that's the thing, too. The criticism she, they explain it in in some of the dialogue. Like when she says, I like making love with you because it's like making love time. with someone for the first yeah, time. And absolutely. it really is. That's when you're like. He really is yeah. a child. Death gets laid. Uh, so, <laughs> but no, the criticism of his performance is not fair because you're you're criticizing. You can't because people do this. They mm-hmm. criticize where they don't want to be spoon fed stuff, and then they criticize where they want they they want to be spoon fed because they don't understand things. It's like, listen, the movie's not the, uh, the movie's telling you a story. If you the the clues are there, yes, find them. A movie should make you think. A movie should make you. You, you need your thinking head on in all movies, basically. Absolutely. You should be thinking about a character's motivation and how they got to the place they are. They don't need to... If they're telling a story, you don't need flashbacks all the time or mm-hmm. you don't need, yeah, this long-winded mm-hmm. diatribe of information. They don't need a monologue by death. Death gave you this great monologue that's all ethereal. You want them to give a monologue now about the ins and outs and workings of... Like when Anthony Hopkins asked him, where are you now? You know, what's up with other people? How are people dying now? Oh, and he like talks about it's beyond your understanding. Yeah. I'm good with that. Absolutely. I don't need to know. But then I wondered when he was having sex with Susan, was he killing people during that sexual experience? I thought that the entire movie, liking peanut. Oh, this is delicious. Beep, beep, beep. <laughs> <laughs> He's taking people while that's happening. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> uh, so we always begin the podcast with, uh, almost all of them with you asking me, do you like this movie? Sure. I'm going to tell you right now, I've, I I put this on the list. I love this movie. Yeah. I first saw this movie, not when I was 11 when the movie came out, but I, I was probably 14, 15 when I saw this movie, not too long after, and I immediately loved this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now I want to ask you. Ask me. What do you think about this movie? I, I like this movie quite a bit. As, uh, uh, this movie is... You know, I, I complain that it's 178 minutes. I texted you. It was three, yes. hours, three hours, but it does not feel three hours. No, not at, at all. all. I mean, I will say that the ending is a long ending. It does take a while to end. But his it's it, I mean, that's the whole point. He's trying to say goodbye to his family without them knowing that he's saying goodbye. And he's trying to hold on as long as he can. Right. The party. Right. Right. It's a movie that it's a big budgeted movie. It's 90 million dollars. I guess I'm going to go into why maybe some people don't like it. Uh, 
but it's it's an it's a play. It's an actor's movie. It's a movie Absolutely. where you are you if you're not into watching performers perform, you know what I mean? Watching hearing dialogue and hearing, uh, you know, monologues and dialogue that mean other things than what they're saying. You're not going to like this movie because you're not going to be, that's not what's attracting you. So I was really excited to have my fiance watch this movie. Oh no. She wasn't a fan of, it's a fair thing. Like you said, it's a play. The dialogue kind of got her. She wasn't a huge fan of the dialogue. She wasn't a huge fan of how these characters aren't relatable. Okay. In terms of it's being super rich, they're super rich white people. Super, they absolutely, are the, they are the one percent. They are Abs- like well, the modern great right. Gatsby. This is twenty years ago. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So she wasn't a huge fan of of that aspect of it, and I can understand sometimes. Like at first, I was like, "All right, it's based on a play." So I thought maybe because I hadn't looked into the notes yet, I just saw that maybe because it's Broadway, Broadway plays. So that's why they chose to make these characters super rich. I'm not realizing that that wasn't really the reason. Mm-hmm. But I, I do understand that disconnect as well. That disconnect to, I don't have a mansion. I don't know. Oh, yeah. I'm not a no. huge. You don't have a giant empire. pool on your upper level of your penthouse. That's awesome. That's not even his main mansion. Listen, I'm going to tell you right now. <laughs> it, it, I, you, I can't relate that, but I would. Oh my god! <laughs> as they went to the library, I was like, I want that library. I oh, want absolutely. that library so bad. Well, what's funny is that you think that they're when they're in their big home and they're having dinner. I want to have them over dinner. I will come over dinner again. Yes. But that there, you you subconsciously think they're in the mansion on the uh, out in the Hamptons. Supposed yeah, at to that be. point, they're in, a they're in the city house. And you're like, holy cow. You once, once you think about that, you're like, oh, my God. That's when I was like, they're well, obscenely how are rich. they walking to work when they're in the? And I was yeah. like, oh, because that's his other place. They're oh, obscenely rich. Uh, I know. I, and I understand that that criticism. Absolutely. It's it is tough. It's relatability is a factor. But what I like about it is. They are still, and maybe it's a little unrealistic. They're good people, <laughs> even though they're that rich. And Bill Parrish is 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 very much a paragon of of what you want to your, be your richest one percent to be. What you want a good man to right. be. Right. Doesn't money doesn't change people. Money reveals the type of person you are. That's we. I think I've said that before. Then I'm not the only one who's ever said that. So I'm not like hey, I'm not not copywriting that. He's not your Rupert Murdoch's or well, whatever. Well, yeah, you're uh, not, he's not. Yeah, he's, exactly. He's a good guy. He's your Citizen Kane. He's he's what or what Citizen Kane wanted to be. Mm-hmm. He's like, if Citizen Kane never went off the deep end in the end of that film, mm-hmm. it's, it's like, it's a little bit of, of wish, wishful thinking, yeah. I guess. Mm-hmm. But it's still well done. Oh, absolutely. And I can understand how that might be a disconnect for some people. You have to look beyond the fact that this is this is a story. This is not, not real life. Maybe. This is maybe a fairy tale kind of version. Oh, I, yeah. I could see that like a modern fairy tale. Yes. That makes sense. It's wonderfully lit. It looks beautiful. The entire yeah. movie looks beautiful. The cinematography is awesome. The yeah. One of the things I noticed and I, I brought up to uh, Elise was that their eyes are always shining. Oh, yeah. They're always glistening. And I almost wondered if that was, was clearly it was on purpose. You don't make choices like that, not on purpose. But I almost wonder if, A, they pointed lights cleverly so it didn't blow out their face but still lit on their eyes. Or if they were had visine in their eyes. Oh, I don't the know. Thing. I don't know what they do. There's that. one scene where, where when Brad Pitt first kisses, when Death first kisses Susan. Uh-huh. He's got a tear in his eye, well, but they, it falls slowly and unrealistically. Like it doesn't fall down his cheek, and it's not there in other scenes. So if it was a tear, I would wonder if they wanted to copy that tear, or if the visine in his eye fell down. Well, they they give you stuff that makes they give you that glycerin stuff that makes you makes you well up and cry. Right. So that maybe that was it. I, I I'm I not know. sure, but I do like because eyes are the window to the soul, and sure. we're talking about a movie about death and souls and stuff like that. I almost wonder if that was why the eyes are really what you're drawn to in the film. Well, I mean, when you say eyes, I'm I'm thinking of Susan. I'm thinking of death, or I'm thinking of Bill. I don't not the other, not Allison or or 
Quince. You don't or get those, Drew. those extreme close-ups on on them as often either. But yes, you, you get are, the, it is the main three. You get the three because at the end of the movie, she kind of he almost like when he's telling her who he is, but he's not. He's almost like revealing it, and she can sense it. And he says, "Say it," and she's like, "You're Joe." Like she can't. She she doesn't want to. Yes. Right. She yeah. knows, but and, she doesn't. But want to I say. think yeah. So it's almost like those those three of them know what's happening. Well, let's get into the end then, because I you think want to go right to the ending. Well, we're talking about why people don't. Or right now, we're talking about why people. Some people the, the, don't connect to the okay. movie and why it's. Well, I was so. well, before we were doing the podcast. I was looking at Google questions. Right, and, like, and that was one of the things. We what happens at the end of each of like you don't get it? So it's let's, pretty yeah. obvious. Well, that's fresh in my mind. Let's talk about that. So she clearly knows he's there. <laughs> <laughs> so at the end of the movie, he has a big party. He goes and sees Joe, and they have their thing, and they they go this walk over this bridge, which again, which is awesomely lit, and even the scene when he's standing under the tree. Yes, and, oh, it's, so, it's so beautiful. So they walk over the bridge and. Because he's going to die, basically. He's right. taking him. To, he's going him to the next realm. And he walks over the bridge. And the bridge then, is symbolism, guys. <laughs> then he, and then uh, Pitt's character comes back, but he's no longer death. He's the man that death body he took. Right. He took. A, he needed a body. He took this guy's body. And you, I think you get the idea. Is because he loves Susan and because he wants her to be happy, he gives her – because she tells him earlier in the, in the party that – you know, I fell for you. That spark was the that man spark in the coffee the shop. Yes. And he realized it wasn't him that she fell in love with. She right. fell in love with the, the man that, whose body he took. He gives the man back to her. So, yeah. So she comes back and she knows that he's Joe's left. She knows Joe has taken her father and he's and he's he's now dead. Yes. His body's on the other side of the uh, other side of that bridge, probably laying down. Yes. It's symbolism. It's not meant to. It's a movie. It's not meant to be realistic. Right. I get it. It's funny to think that she's with this dude now and her father's dead on the other side of the bridge. I get that. If yeah. you're thinking of it in terms of realistic terms, yes, his dead body is over there. But but he's already said the goodbyes. They've already said that. So she knows that, but right. then she's upset, but she's made peace with that. Absolutely. And she's, she's, she's doing the one wish that her father wanted. It's tough. That's a tough that's a tough scene to to do for her, uh, for Claire Ferlani. I wish you... I didn't know my father. Me too. Me too. You you have to do both that you're so happy that you have this man back that you have fallen in love with the spark that your father tells you in that helicopter ride where he's like, I just want you that lightning to strike. Right. And she has to emote that and she has to emote the fact that her father is now dead. And that she lost Joe, which she still loved Joe, even though right. she didn't Well, that's it's so, a conflicting thing. Like, you know, yeah. She's sad she lost Joe, but happy she got him back. Yeah. She's sad she lost her dad. I don't get what people don't get about that. It's all pretty clear. She, it's wait. so clear she knows who death is when she doesn't want to say his because, name because Mike. Some people want the plate to be put out in front of them and people to cut the meat for them so they know I what's going on here. I get you. I, I understand. <laughs> it's like you said. Yes. What you said before. It's a fairy tale, like a fairy tale life, a fairy tale story that we're we're seeing here. It's all part of that. It's it's this movie is not meant to be realism. Yes. This movie is meant to be surrealism. It's meant to be just. Like you said, I keep saying fairy tale, but it's a it's a story. It's it's as simple as that. When the man in the coffee shop does come back, it's clear that he knows something of what has happened. Right, he knows that Bill died because mm -hmm. he's. I wish you could have known my. I wish I could have too. 
and he, he says it's been in a, in a cloud. He's been in a fog. He doesn't know. Yeah. He remembers some stuff, but not all of it. So he knows he, it's not like he's completely unaware of what has happened to him. And I wonder if the situation, I wonder if, and this isn't really the job of the, of the storytelling or the writers or the director or the movie itself. I wonder if as they move forward, if her meeting Joe becomes cloudy, she doesn't remember that it's him. It becomes morphed where, you know what I mean? Like that whole experience kind of goes away. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, I don't know. I I would think not. I the would fact think that she had sex leave her with, with this uh, deeper being. appreciation for for life and death itself. Yeah, you know, I think that's nice. If if she did fall in love with that, then when she gets older, hopefully, and she lives a long life, and it's her time <laughs> to go, she's more at peace with it, much like Bill was. Mm-hmm. Like that's also a nice gift that death could leave. Sure, sure, I get that. Yeah, that's a big thing. And then the other big the, the other big thing is the fact that there's two different cuts of this movie. Yes. So there's a 178 minute cut and then there's a cut that is done for like when you go on the planes or on TV that's two and a half? Two hours. Is it just two hours? It's and they just cut two hours. And they cut out mostly they cut out is the business stuff, the boardroom stuff, which is kind of stupid because his whole point is that he wants to leave a legacy behind. He doesn't want to do the merger. Which and- in the two hour cut they leave that that which I like his when he gets angry and talks about wanting to leave a legacy. Yes. They, they yeah. leave that quote. But that's it. <laughs> that's and you don't know anything else? <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah, so it doesn't make it's to the point where Breast disowns the cut, and so when you if you're watching Meet Joe Black and the it says directed by Alan Smithy, that's not the version that you should be watching. You should be watching the three hour one. Yes, because the I don't know if people know this, but like when when either directors like leave a project or they don't, I guess they disagree with like Breast does like this. I didn't direct this movie. This isn't me, and they want to pull their name from a movie. When it's the creative control has been taken out, from right? Anything in, the, in that regard where the director no longer doesn't want to be responsible for it, I don't think they do it anymore. But back back in the day, it used to be directed by a man who doesn't exist named Alan Smithy. So that is that is just they don't want the credit because it's not their movie, so they give it to this fake guy. I think they don't do it anymore because it's tougher now with all the social media, all the early announcements. Yeah. Exactly. Too many people know, so it's right. too late. Yeah. So it's it's like it doesn't. Yeah. Well, they might. You never know. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's Look a new name. Alan Smithy's credits on IMDb. <laughs> Holy crap! <laughs> <laughs> this guy's so this guy's 185 years old. <laughs> um, yeah. So you should really. You're doing a disservice if you're watching the the if you're judging or being critical of the movie by watching the two hour version you see on TV. You really should watch the three hour version because it does have a lot more stuff going on in yes. there. If if you were a fan of the, I mean, again, you have to be a fan of the storytelling and the dialogue and the writing and just kind of everything that goes into this movie. If you like film, I don't understand how you could. Oh well, no, absolutely, the, uh, absolutely, the fantastic. I mean, this was one of the very first, I I believe, like the very first romantic movies that I liked. Mm-hmm. Not not romantic comedies, but like. Drama, yep. Drama, romance movies that I, I I liked. You know, as a teenager, I was like, "This is good. The acting is good. the The lighting is good. It doesn't help that it had Anthony Hopkins, who I've always kind of liked growing up. Mm-hmm. But it's just, it's a fantastic movie with so many bits and pieces that are are really good. And yes, the dialogue is a little contrived at times. It's a little heavy handed. And ex- do you have an example? R- very play like a lot of what um Susan says. A lot of her dialogue about, mm-hmm. "I wish this would never end. I wish it was like yeah. a lot of their conversations toward the end." When he meets Quince at the end, and Quince basically tells him that he screwed Joe, he screwed the big guy over. Uh, I'm talking about Bill Parrish. He Bill screwed him over, yeah. not knowing because he just revealed that, and it was just like an offhand comment where Bill tells him, like, a, basically, Quince is like, "Hey, I know 
Bill has shut down any any t- idea of being mer- having the merger. Yes. So Quince goes to him and says, like, hey, listen, man, if you want, I've got a couple of ideas. And he's like, well, how, you know, when we can meet up this week? He's like, well, that's up to Joe. And he's basically saying, like, I don't know, I could be dead. Exactly. And he doesn't know that. So then Quince relays that to Drew, who is Susan's boyfriend at the time and also a member of the board and a member of Bill Parrish's company. He's like kind of like he mentors him. So Quince tells Drew that, oh, he, oh, it's up to Joe. Joe's, you know, Joe's going to let us know. It's up to Joe. And then Drew's like, what? He's up to Joe. Cause they don't know who this guy just suddenly shows up. Who the heck is he? Yeah. Drew doesn't like him, obviously. Cause Drew's have, Drew has a tough couple of days. Cause not only does, <laughs> does Bill Parrish tank the merger, he then gets dumped by his girlfriend. <laughs> so he's having a tough couple of days. And so it's, so when Quince tells him, when Quince tells Joe at the party, this is towards the end of the movie, that you know he screwed up. He didn't because they basically turn those words around on, on Bill and Drew meets with the board in private. They vote Bill out because they want the merger because he tells him that hey, this merger he's increased his the guy who's going to buy the company has increased his pay. He'll take them. He'll take the company with or without Bill Parrish. They all vote to kick Bill out. Well, I think it's also yeah, it's 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 the notion of Joe that yeah finally gets the board right. Yeah, because basically that's how it turns it. So he, so Quince tells Joe like I screwed up, and he's like, just tell him, and and then he's like, he'll forgive you. And he's Quince starts talking about love, about how you have no secrets between him and Alice, and how you know she loves him because they have no secrets between that he knows all the she knows all his skeletons and he knows hers, and it's basically more of an idea where they share everything together, and and once you do that, you're free. Right. So he tells him that, and you think that Joe learns that lesson, and then Joe goes and sees Susan during the party and she's like, take me with you. And he's like, and then he goes back to Bill. He's like, I'm going to take Susan with me. Like, it's almost like he forgot that lesson. You know what I mean? He's greedy. He's still deaf. No, I get that. It takes a little bit more shoving. Like he's slowly learning what it is to be alive. And I like how talking about that Quince conversation, how he put Pat's Quince's head <laughs> yeah. and he tells him, you know, do you like me? And it's like, you're one of my favorite people. Right. It's like Quince doesn't realize the significance of that line. And I, that's, I love that. <laughs> well, that is yeah. the most immortal being <laughs> that has existed before time itself telling you you're one of his favorites. Well, people. that's like the line when they first meets him and he's like, and Quince is like, this is fun. He's like, yes, Quince, it is. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's funny because he's such a nice guy. He's such like Quince's character. He's like, he's like, it's not, I don't want, I wouldn't say he's like a pleaser in the terms of like, he's a kiss ass. He just. Right. He wants to help. He wants to be, you know, whatever Bill decides. And I kind of wish that because he says Quince is a good guy. And Bill's like, yep. He said, you know, but I kind of wanted something more between Bill and Quince. I wanted something where he says something to him. I was a little disappointed in their last conversation where Bill was just like, yep, I understand. Nope. You made a mistake. It happens. Yeah. I kind of wanted more like you've. He's saying goodbye to all these family members. It's like, that's his son-in-law. And he never and, and he never says goodbye to the fact that. You get because he has that conversation with Allison, who Marsha Gay Harden plays Allison really understated and really well. And her dynamic with her father is actually, to me, a lot more interesting than her, his dynamic with Susan because you kind of get the Susan, you know, the, his favorite. It, it, yeah, it's, it's a little heartbreaking with Allison. It end. is, yeah. but she's like, I know I'm not your favorite, but I know you've never made me feel unloved. And it's like, it's so, and she plays it so well and she's so good. And it's such a strong scene. And it's almost like he knows that when he dies, it's going to be really tough for her, but because Quince is there for her, yeah. you know that she'll be okay, but he never addresses that about Quince. And you you kind of want him to be like, you just want him to be like, Quince, you're you're a great guy. I've never, you know what I mean? It's true. And I think his last dialogue with Allison, he lets her do all, do all the talking. Yeah. And then yeah. he just kind of hugs her and goes, thanks, babe. It's a little, it's, it's, 
Like, yeah. just make sure she's okay. Tell her, tell her it's going to be all right. Like you told Susan. Yeah, absolutely. Like I get that you want Susan to be happy and you've told her that, but then you tell Susan that everything's going to be okay. No mm-hmm. regrets. You don't really tell Allison that. Yeah. And also, uh, I want to bring up Allison's line about it's okay to have favorites. You're allowed one. So I want to tell my parents right now, listen, <laughs> it's already a cat's out of the bag. You're allowed to have favorites. It's okay. <laughs> you can just admit it. I'm your favorite. Just let me know. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you right now, <laughs> if you want to solidify that favorite process, you need to give them a grandchild. Okay. You want you want to you want to make them your favorite. You give them a grandchild, and if you give them a boy grandchild, forget it, forget it. It's nonstop, nonstop favorite time. Woo! So uh, you better hurry up. <laughs> I must give them an air. <laughs> um, <laughs> I like Quince's line. I love little girls. I remember when uh, you were little girls, and uh, I love little girls. And uh, now you're all grown up. Oh, my God. <laughs> and he's like, I remember when you're two little girls. I love little girls. And she, they're all like, what? Uh, <laughs> and they don't ever address it again. They just go back on. Oh, because he's a nice guy. You know, he didn't Absolutely. mean it like that. And he just Absolutely. Says it so I think our big critical of being our big criticism of of um, Micho Black is that not enough Quince, not enough, not enough reverence with Bill for Quince. Yes. I don't I, I you know, just thinking about that now, just it's not that I'm not interested in the Susan dynamic i'm not it's not that i'm not interested in her as a character right i've seen that already and and i know that already and i'm actually more interested in the dynamic of the daughter like allison who is is not the favorite almost not in terms of like she's crapped on or anything right but she never let it get gets to her yes you know and she she's planning the party she's just trying to, and even when he tastes the cake and she's upset, and he want, and He's like, "Oh, let's just do this one. Oh, it's love. It's like you're you're being a little sarcastic." I, I thought the same thing. <laughs> uh, it's you try all three at least. You're, you're being a little sarcastic, and 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 another thing is he has such a hold on his daughter's lives. Like I don't. I mean, I love my daughters. I don't know if I want to know every single thing. Uh, you know what I mean? Well, I think he's. I don't want to control them. I don't know about how controlling he is. He doesn't even like a normal. Like I would think that a normal guy in Bill's position would want. Susan to be with Drew would want that dynasty right there. But he has, and like, he would be like, you're marrying him. And he doesn't until he, she falls in love with death. And then she's, he's like, that's when he's, you're not doing it. I've, I've made, I've made my point. But he has that conversation he with her before that. Right away. Yeah. But not to cut you off, but he has that conversation with her in the helicopter about how, you know, Drew's not that kind of guy. Drew's doesn't seem like that. I want you to have that spark. I want he you wants to have her that to be energy. Happy, yeah. So he's telling her right there, I, find somebody that's, I don't think Drew's that guy for you. Don't just settle. Then, Death comes into the picture. Then he's like, no, 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 no. I don't want you with this guy. Then he's like, then he's like, maybe it was too hard on Drew. It's like, you, you stop giving her opinions on who she should be with. That's not your job. He's just trying to lead her away from death. That's no, I, all. No, I get that. I'm just saying, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know if he has a huge hold on him. Maybe it's an unfamiliar dynamic that I see that I'm witnessing. He's also a single parent. Okay. He doesn't have the mother anymore. So he's got more of a hold on his daughters because he's, that's the only thing left of her, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which, again, is something that I'd like to have seen more. Is, uh, basically, I want a little bit more of Bill's story and a little bit less of Death's story. Yeah, I think that's okay. right. I, I don't want us Not Death's story, necessarily, but maybe Death's love story. Because I love the scene with Death and like the Jamaican woman. Right. I think that's a big part of him as well. It's not just the learning experience he feels with Susan, but I think what he when he meets the Jamaican woman, which I'm only naming Jamaican woman because that's her credit as well. I know. She, she, doesn't, she, doesn't, have she doesn't have a name. It's this older Jamaican woman who's dying, and she knows. She knows. She knows it's dead. him. She knows. He, she knows he's a a demon or a, a spirit. She said she like calls the bomba him a spirit. man or yeah, something yeah. like that. I think she knows he's dead. Mm-hmm. 
And at first she's afraid he's, she's come from her, but then she feels the pain again. She's like, you know, just take me. Mm-hmm. And she teaches him an important lesson about how, you know, it's like visiting the islands. It's like, it's a holiday. Yeah. You're not, and yeah, life you can't is a stay. Holiday. Yeah. You can't stay. And she knows she's the one that kind of, I think is big on convincing death. It's time to go. She's also convincing him to kill her several times, which is fine. You know, but, yeah. but you know, it's yeah. like, he doesn't, he's like, I'm not your time. It wasn't, I don't even think he was visiting her to get to take her when he visited her. I think he was just visiting her. Yes. And then she says like, take, and he takes her and he goes, okay. Yeah. And he kind of breaks the rule because she taught him a lesson. Right. right. Obia. No, mama. Obia, man. I'm going to die. Mama, stop it. It's just a man. What's Obia? Bad spirit. She just thought fever. She don't mean nothing. Please help us. Of course. No, Obia, sister. No devil, no dopey. Everything going to be iry. A re- that's another well, reason I think he's he could- got to go. He can't make those. He's breaking his rules. Yeah, at but, that point. but well, now I don't know if we've talked about this before, but did he kill the man in the coffee shop because he wanted his body because or because he talked to that to Susan or the man in the coffee shop died and he just took the body? That's something I think is 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 a sticking point. The couple times I've talked about this movie to some people, some people think he's I've talked about to people that think he's chose Pitt's character, but I think it was just a uh, coincidence because it seems like when Susan walks in and recognizes him, right? He's like, "Ah, uh, shit! I chose the wrong." <laughs> I feel like that almost blows up his spot, and he almost has that reaction as, um, like death as Pitt. Pitt has that reaction of, "Oh, we met." Uh, yeah, yeah. So I don't think he knew. I think it was just a coincidence. Proximity to Bill, looks and stature probably. Yeah, that's fine. Like yeah. That. Like, well, oh, he was probably guy. he was recently killed, so he probably just grabbed them. Right. Yeah. Someone he could probably heal the body. It was a younger guy, not an older person. He might have been. He might have been the one that goes before Bill. You know what I mean? So like, okay, this guy. Oh, Bill Parrish is next. I'll just take this guy's body. Oh, that's true. You know, it could he be something did like extend that. Bill's life. Yeah. 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 So it could be something like that. Yeah. Um, we always talk about lines that we like. So many lines in this movie. Right. So I'm just gonna go to the end when uh, they bust Drew and he's just like, "Who'd have thought you and IRS agents like death and taxes?" Because <laughs> <laughs> when he talks about it in the boardroom, he's just like. Says death and taxes. What? And he's like, death and taxes. <laughs> Truth is, joining John Bonnecue is every bit as certain as death and taxes. Death and taxes? Yes. Death and taxes? Yes. But non parent. It's just a saying, Mr. Black. Hmm. By whom? Doesn't matter. Then why'd you bring it up? <sighs> You're not familiar with the phrase in this world nothing is certain but death and taxes? Well, I am now. Glad I could be of some help. I love where he talks. He tries to get Susan as a friend. Can you be my friend? And she's like, I have enough friends. I don't have any. Oh, so sad. No. I can see why. I'm like, oh, that's, oh, come on. He's a nice guy. He's a weird guy, but come on. That's a little mean. I would like it if we were friends. I've got plenty of friends. I don't have any. Oh, I can see why. I didn't mean to offend you at dinner. I'm sometimes not quite at home around people. I also like the last line of the movie uh, from Bill where he stops Death before they go over the bridge and he says, should I be afraid? And Death looks and goes, a man like you? No. Yeah, because he knows where he's he's going. And then then Bill's got that smile and he's like, okay, now I'm definitely ready to go. Should I be afraid? 
man like you. I actually like the fact that when he goes to see death at the end and they're side by side and they're looking down and they're, they're having the conversation. And then it's actually Bill who turns, turns first, first because he's, he's ready. ready to go. Well, he's ready to go. He's like, let's let's go. I'm ready now. That's like that. I thought that was that's subtle, but that's very that's very good. That's you know, it's a it's yeah. a very good move. And it's like you don't catch that unless you are in tune with the movie. Right. Do you know what I mean? You Otherwise, I, I assume they're probably about the end, like, come, come on, let's go already. You know, but yeah. like the fact that he turns, it's like he's ready to go before death. And it's just, it's interesting. It's hard uh, to let go, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yes it, is, yes, it is. Absolutely. I think it's great. Like that yeah. message is good. I think I like the, I mentioned the, the woman's quote, but the woman's quote is, life is a holiday. Take a bunch of nice pictures before you leave. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, and then she asks him, did you take some nice pictures? And he said, yes. Yeah. Well, he uh, do the dialogue though, do the Jamaican island dialogue. No, no, no. no. Although Pitt did a really good job of, of the Rastafari. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure he had a lot of practice. Of course. I did not. Well, so I am not going to. Oh, you baby. Listen, I'll do some British, but I don't want to, I, I, I don't want to do uh, uh, things. I don't. <laughs> so <laughs> did you, get me in trouble. did you get, so his name is Bill Parrish, William Parrish, right? Will Parrish. Do you get that? Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> this was the first time I got it. I didn't get it on the other times I yeah. watched this movie. This was the first. This was the first time I was like, oh. <laughs> uh, the other note I had in here was that uh, a couple notes was that they initially had Gene Hackman to play Will Par- Bill Parrish, which, eh, nah, I can't see that. Here's the thing. When we talk about how much we love Gene Hackman, and there's. This uh, isn't the role for him. This is. He's not likable. This isn't the role for yeah, him. Yeah. He's, no. He's, He's likable in an angry, gruff way, but he doesn't represent. He he's not a character that always would represent like the best of society. It would be tough for him. I think the fact that he's would be as tall as Pitt or taller. I think the fact that Hopkins is shorter than Pitt, in terms of just their their heights, I think kind of gives Death more of a that lurch commanding. Stature. Yes. Yeah. Um, plus, I I think there's a there's a subtlety to Hopkins in this in terms of his performance. Not saying that Hopkins can't do it. I just don't. I can't. I can't see it Hopkins, right now. What I like about Hopkins is when he speaks. He he doesn't rush through his lines, but he says them quick, and he says them quick and understated. He goes, he'll talk about a line, and he'll go like this, and then he'll suddenly go like this and like that, and then he'll come back up, as if everything he says is a prose and a poem. And I think that works for Bill Parrish because I think Bill Parrish is a man of words. Sure. And I think Gene Hackman is a man of blunt dialogue. Yeah. I, I agree with that. It, it would be tough to have him go through some of the pros that Bill Parrish said. They would have to change the dialogue. Now, that could be from uh, Hopkins. It could be from Martin Brest's direction. But the note I have here is that they came to, quote unquote, frequently came to blows because Brest always wanted to do multiple takes. Now, frequently came to blows, really? You're going to tell me that they just start fighting off the side of the thing? I, I'm sure it meant verbal blows, but it's, I, I'm, I'm yeah. sure. So I guess... I don't know. Maybe Martin Bress is a David Fincher who likes to do 60 takes, but I don't know. I, 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 I don't know. So where that performance comes from, who knows? Here's the thing. I, I know Martin Bress has done some, some great things and he's been around for a while, but if I was directing Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> but you're not Martin Bress. You've done stuff already. Yes. You're an Academy Award nominated uh, director from Santa Woman. But not a winner. <laughs> Anthony Hopkins is a winner. <laughs> if, Damn. if I got Hopkins to say a line and if he's only done like one or two takes and he's fantastic in this movie. Mm, of course. I'm sorry. Fuck it. Great, Anthony. We're done. But you don't Let's know. You don't know if that's from his, fi- his 15th take or his second take. I will tell you this. If he's usually a one take guy and judging by all of other Hopkins stuff, 
I've never seen Hopkins in something he wasn't Listen, good in. You've known me as a director. You <laughs> oh, know, you're I get, one take guy. You yeah. know, I get antsy at five takes. Yeah. You know, it's like if we haven't gotten up to five takes, we need to change something. Like yes. that's how I feel. And I'm not a big, I'm not a big rehearsal guy. I don't mind rehearsing just to know the lines, but I like know. the I like table reads. But I don't I mind don't that, like, but that because that yeah. helps you shape the script again. But yes, I, I understand you lose the sincerity of your scene when you've done it too many times. Right. And as a director watching people perform, I want to see it as is. I don't want it to be clinical. I don't want it to be like I'm putting, you know what I mean? I want it to something I can feel. Like I can tell when there's a line or if, if you say something or somebody says something like that's really good. I like that. Like I want that yes. reaction. I don't, I mean, he might not be that type of director, but whatever. That's how I am. So, yeah. uh, you know, I guess that, I don't know. It's, just, it's different ways, different strokes for different folks, I guess. Right. Not that I could do a movie like this. <laughs> Meet Joe Blue. <laughs> Meet Joe Blue. So that mansion is actually not in the Hamptons. That's actually in Warwick, Rhode Island. Yes. And it's a huge friggin' mansion. I will say that mansion is, I'll say it again, is gorgeous. Oh, I don't right. usually like classical styles like that either. I like a more modern style, but there's so many things. I, I like the staircase. Mm-hmm. I like the uh, the front entry doors or that, that, that dark, dark blue, but almost black, mm-hmm. which is very ethereal looking. Very. I, I wonder like if, if the color palette was chosen oh, for man, those I, doors. I got to think they didn't do a lot of production design. On the mansion, I would think. I mean, maybe little touches here and there, but they're upper crust, wealthy people. What do you need to do? You don't. Their style is not what you need to worry about in terms of it's basically your. It's just a set for their for this play that you're watching. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you really don't have to focus too much on it. I mean, I'm sure there was some stuff done, but I mean, like when you're looking at stuff where it's like the, that vase, oh, that's so Bill Parrish. Oh yeah, yeah, I mean? yeah. Like, yeah, yeah like I don't need that. that. Yeah. yeah, I like the scenes where. Anthony Hopkins stands up to death a lot. I like where he yells at him and he talks to him and he talks back to him. And death is like, easy, Bill, easy, Bill, easy, Bill. Bill, at this point, Bill knows as it goes on at first, Bill shuts up. Yeah. And he goes, are you going to fire? Like, if someone talks to me like that, I usually fire them. Mm-hmm. And then death goes, are you going to fire me? <laughs> and then Bill shuts up. Yeah. But at the end, after death has fallen in love with Susan, Bill knows that he's got power over death at that point. That now the tables have turned and that Bill is teaching death lessons and that Bill is knows that death won't let him go because death is too connected to Susan. So at this point, Bill has less of a connection to life than death itself. Well, he doesn't, and he's getting it because death is confused. Yeah. Yes. Death is confused in terms of what is appropriate, I guess. What, like, yes. Yeah. What's like he's real, being selfish. Yeah. yeah. And at that point, the wisdom kind of changes between the two characters and the dynamic changes. And it's through those arguments that you suddenly see that. Right. And all of a sudden Bill's in the position of power. And I really enjoy it. So I don't know if we touched on it, but why do you think it was forgotten? Because you said you chose this movie. I forgot that you chose. Uh-huh, get it. I chose so. this movie because. I'm curious. I'm curious. Because, you know, our last last week's podcast, we talked a little bit about Ghost Town. And I think we talked about why it was forgotten and uh, like in terms of of what people don't like about the movie and why they're, they're probably not telling their friends about it. In terms of why I chose this movie is. One of the things that scares me, I, I'm not afraid of death. But one of the things I am afraid of is mortality. I've always been afraid of getting old, of getting older, losing my hair, losing my eyesight. These are my biggest fears. Like dying, eh, whatever. (laughs) Living until you die is scary. Gotcha. That's why a lot of the things I connect to, a lot of things I write are things like, you know, I wrote written the Peter Pan thing where it's about, I don't want to get into a lot of the plot, but he's older at this point. And it's how his experiences have shaped him. He wants to be this younger person, but he's not anymore. Mm -hmm. Or things about immortal characters and things like that. Or just, you know, uh, Dorian Gray. I'd written a screenplay about Dorian Gray as well. 
and that's always interesting to me is how people who have lived forever view the world and how they come to accept it and how they view morality and how we accept it on our own terms, like Bill Parrish does and stuff like that. So I really connect to a lot of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And a lot of this, that kind of stuff affects me because it's, it's, it's one of my greatest fears. As I said, I like a little suspension of disbelief, but a movie like that where then you can see characters learn about that and come to grips with that and come to terms with that. And I, f- I find it very touching. And I, I, don't, I didn't cry at the end of this, this movie, but I do tear up a couple of times, like when he says goodbye to his daughters, when he turns to death at the end and mm-hmm. says it's hard letting go and he turns first mm-hmm. and they walk over the bridge accepting the mortality of, of, of life itself. I mean, he's dead at 65. That's pretty that's young. young. That's absolutely young. So I think that's, that's part of the reason why I chose this movie. It's part of the reason why I connect with this movie. And the other part is the cinematography is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I love the performances and all the, of all the actors. And I think, like you said, a lot of people don't like fit in this movie. Yeah. And he's a little goofy, but well, he's fan- That's what it's supposed to be. And he's fantastic. Right. And I, that goofy dynamic along with the poise of, of, the character who should be a little more goofy than death itself really works for me. I think the criticism of Piddle has always been that he's a pretty boy who can't act. And that's, un- that's unfair. Because he's a that's- pretty boy who can act. Exactly. That's not, that's unfair. Yes. He's obviously he's gorgeous, but like, it doesn't mean he doesn't have chops. I mean, you can do, you can have both. Everyone. I was, I was, me, I was asking at least when the movie started, I said, should I get gold highlights? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, lo- I just, I just like the hair and makeup people just kind of like, we got to get these two strands of hair in front of his eyes. Do it. You know, like that, that whole look is always like it never moves. Oh, yeah. Unless when they have sex, it moves. But oh, oh God, the, that sex scene is the is one of the most awkward. <laughs> sex scenes. It's just too much close up of the face and too much of Brad Pitt shaking well, his upper lip. It's a PG-13 like, movie, Ugh. man. I've seen it done a little more romantically. <laughs> like, I get that he's supposed to be an amateur, but like, I'm glad it only lasts like five seconds. <laughs> well, again, he was an amateur. Was like, Whoa. <laughs> um, weird. But uh, that criticism has always been unfair. But I will say, uh, in terms of him being a pretty boy, they can't act. Yeah. But I will say that when he comes back over the bridge and he's the guy again from the coffee shop. Yes. And he his he does, there is they're like Brad Pitt mannerisms that he does where like he's like pointing, he's looking up and he's like touching his lip. And like, it's like, I can understand why people don't like that, but that's him. That's his acting. But you didn't see that when he was deaf. And then you see no, no, that no. again when he comes back. I get exactly. that. So no, I get that. The, but, the man but in the coffee shop is what, Brad Pitt. What I'm saying, <laughs> yeah, but what I'm saying is that those mannerisms I've seen in other movies. You know but what I mean? Here's the thing. Kind of like the George Clooney head nod, head tilt, that kind of stuff. Like just certain actors certain do certain things. Here, Scissor running from Tom Cruise. Exactly. Every we talk about was it this episode or the episode before we talk about it was the episode before we talked about a Denzel movie. Right, right, right. Denzel is an amazing actor. But he is Denzel Washington in everything he's in. That's he's just a different emotion of Denzel. Absolutely, absolutely. A lot of big stars are are based on their personality and the great actors, but they play themselves in these roles. At that, those that's why that's so what un- makes it, them yeah. leading men. And so that's like said, not it's just unfair right. to take that against Brad Pitt. Yeah, that's not just no. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not. No, I'm, I'm uh, saying okay, that you're. Right. Yeah, I'm yeah. defending your point. That's not just modern too. Jimmy Stewart is Jimmy Stewart, and everything's in. Cary Grant is yep. Cary Grant, and everything. John Wayne is John Wayne. These the big time movie stars are stars because they are charismatic on screen as who they are. That's what they know. You'll never see Harrison Ford do smaller movies where he's oh my god, that's Harrison Ford. You know, like you'll never see that. The only time I've ever known that that's happened is Tom Cruise and Tropic Thunder. 
<laughs> and that's it. But, but he had to put a ton of makeup on in order for you to yeah. kind of like disassociate yourself with, oh crap, that's Tom Cruise. Even as even as Vincent in Collateral, which I love, Tom Cruise is it's still Tom, Tom Cruise yeah, as a bad guy. But that's what you want. That's exactly. what that's what people go to the movie for to see Tom Cruise in this role. I guess basically what we're saying is that you can't criticize movie stars for being movie stars. Right. That's who they are. Like they're not gonna, there. They're not there to get hide themselves in the character of John Adams, like. Uh, who who played John Adams in the miniseries? Paul Giamatti. Yeah, that's Paul Giamatti. That's Brett a character. Actor. That's his wheelhouse. So it's like Sam Rockwell right. and stuff like that. Those right. are actors that hide into characters, become the characters. Mm-hmm. You're talking about characters that become the actors that yeah. portray the characters. Right. So. There's a difference, and they're both great. They're both both styles are great. It's just about what your preference is. You're not if you're not a big fan of Tom Cruise's who Tom Cruise is in terms of his acting ability. You're not going to like any Tom Cruise movie. You're making me really want to do Interview with the Vampire right now. Because then we could go on and on about the. <laughs> don't the make me do this. Time. I cannot. <laughs> uh, I want to add it to the list. You told me that. Because <laughs> I don't think it's forgotten. It's kind of forgotten. It's not. It wasn't forgotten at the time, but. That's not a forgotten movie. We'll take a survey of how many people who. It's not forgotten. <laughs> it's not forgotten. That's right. All right. So shut up. <laughs> This movie's really good. I said why I like this movie. I like it. Yeah. I like dialogue. Yeah. I like storytelling. I like the fairy tale aspect. I like the lighting. I like the cinematography. I enjoy the performances. I enjoy the tete a tete between uh in, in in certain scenes, especially at the end when Drew and Death are kind of like going back and forth. I think everything starting the day of the party through the party to the end is really, really Which really is like done. I think that's like the last hour. It's like the last 40 minutes or so. Yeah, but again, and it's a long movie, but you earn that ending. You earn that last 40 minutes. And like you said, it doesn't feel long. So I would say to people that don't like the movie because they've seen it on TV Mm -hmm. and they didn't like the TV cut, if you like film, it would behoove you to watch it again, the the full version. Even if you like plays. Yeah. I mean, this is a tight movie. Your movie doesn't need 8,000 characters. Um, and th- while this movie has a couple of subplots, about it's, it, they all revolve around Bill Parrish, about your main character. Mm-hmm. And I know that last week we talked about how movies should be short. We talked about like ninety minutes to like, but yes, it's the total opposite of the movie. And I know we're going mm-hmm. back on that. But if your movie's going to be three hours, it better not feel like three hours, and it doesn't feel like three hours because you are so engrossed in it. Yes, as, as long as it's three hours, but you've stuck to the plot. Sure. You don't have extraneous things, and I don't think this movie has very many. No, you have things. like we talked about. You have six characters, six characters, and that's it. Everyone else is kind of like not. I know you talked about the Jamaican woman, but that's kind of like she's an important side character. But she, she's the only supporting character. character. Yeah, yeah. There's no other. Every, I mean, yeah. It's it it's a play. It's why it feels like a play so much because you have the six mains, and they all very much rotate around your your main main character of of Bill Parrish, right? And you are, there is an engrossing nature to the conversations that Bill has with death throughout the movie from the beginning to the end. So those are like your mainstay moments. Those are like, you know, those, those big act enders and stuff like that and act beginning uh, scenes. Yes. Right. And I always say that your story is not complete if it doesn't have a theme, if it doesn't have a lesson to be learned at the end. Mm -hmm. And this absolutely does and has big themes and big lessons that they don't, they do kind of hammer at you, but in, in more of a fairy tale kind of way. And it's, it's not like overdone and they don't wink at the camera with their lesson so who's the main character i think it's bill i think we're supposed to think it's bill because it's bill coming to terms with death but death appreciates life and, and he learns it through bill as well so i think i really think it's bill i used to think it was death right okay but as i've gotten older i i think bill's the main because you can't relate to an ethereal being that knows everything and knows all you and can if relate you're watching to, this film you're not a baby anymore but you can relate to somebody that is experiencing uh human nature and human emotion on a base level where you once did before 
and maybe you're caught up with the fact that no, I get what you're saying, but maybe if you're not as well rounded as Bill Parrish is in mm-hmm. terms of such a good guy who already knows these lessons, and he's he's older, he's lived his life, right? Right? Yeah. You 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 can't really compare the two because. I, I agree with you. I think he's. I think you can make a case for both. You can absolutely because, like I said, I used to think it was death. But here's another thing: I can't relate to anyone who loves peanut butter so much. I like peanut butter. I, I like it that much. Butter. I can't I, have it like that. I hate peanut butter, so <laughs> well, I can't relate to death anymore. <laughs> Would you have some peanut butter? Uh, no, thank you. <laughs> Just the spoon. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can have peanut butter, but I can't have it like that. I mean, maybe once. Like, I can have Reese's uh, peanut butter cups, and that's about it. What about I won't. What about almond butter? Almond butter's all right. That's really just peanut butter for some reason. I can eat peanuts, just when it's 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 too strong a taste. I think when it, when it becomes peanut butter, sure, overpowering. That's, that's respectable. I get that. Yep. <laughs> so that's my thoughts on peanut butter. <laughs> Join us next week when we talk about jelly. <laughs> well, that's a good segue to talk about next week's episode. There we go, and and, and this podcast. Um. So yeah. So you know. Watch me, Joe Black. But next week, we're going to return, and we're going to be doing the, I don't even know what year in the 70s, but it's a 70s film. It stars uh, Robert Redford. Uh, it's called Three Days of the Condor. And actually, what's funny is that a lot of people um, compare Brad Pitt to Robert Redford, another, you know, quote unquote, pretty boy that came up that has chops. They look very similar. Well, they look very nice. similar. And but but that was Redford's kind of like knock sometimes where people thought, oh, he can't act because he's just he's just a good face, good looking face. And that's a it's a crummy criticism both ways. So uh, we're going to do Three Days of a Condor. Mike has not seen Three Days of a Condor. I know that it is a very significant cinematic film. I've just never seen yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> which is fine. Uh, so I'm interested to see what he what he thinks about it. But um, I have, and I obviously enjoyed it. That's why I think I'm the one that suggested this one, right? Yes. I can't remember. We went back and we went, we go one, 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 right? Because I suggested oh, Ghost yeah, Town. Yep. You did meet Joe Black. So yeah, so yes. Three Days of a Condor. Okay. Yeah, so that'll be us next week. Um, if you uh, would like to he- hear some of our older episodes, you can catch us at ForgottenCinemaPodcast.com. That's, we have all the, all the posts there. All the episode links are there. You can also, uh, anywhere that you listen to this podcast, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, TuneIn app, wherever. We're everywhere. You can catch our backlog. Uh, we just started season four, so we have about 30 plus episodes in our back catalog that uh, are waiting for you to listen to. A new episode every Wednesday. Every We don't stop. We don't quit, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. If you'd like to suggest, perhaps suggest a movie that you want us to do, you can hit us up on the website. Like I said, ForgottenCinemaPodcast.com. We have a contact page there. You can also email us at ForgottenCinemaPod at gmail.com. And obviously, you can comment on any of our posts on social media. We are on Instagram. Twitter, Facebook, just look for Forgotten Cinema. Twitter, I believe our handle is Forgot Cinema. Um, just look for the purple icon, the purple logo with the purple waves going through it. And uh, that's us. So we are Forgotten Cinema, as I've said before. Do you have anything else to add? Well, only that we should have said it in the We Are Wild Stallions. Oh, well, do you want to just do that now? <laughs> <laughs> do you have anything else to add? Uh, just... um. Check out our merch page if you if you like Forgotten Cinema. If you are a fan, we do have merch. Uh, I'm not going to pimp it as hard as I did last episode, <laughs> but we do have merch available. Uh, we'd appreciate if you if you did that or spread spread the word. Oh, I'm uh, cute. And that's the water heater. So we're out, folks. So uh, the, when you hear the water heater happening in Mike's basement, that means we are done here at <laughs> Forgotten Cinema. So thanks for listening. I'm Mike Field. I'm uh, Mike Butler. And this has been Forgotten Cinema, Water Heater Edition. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
hard to let go, isn't it? Yes, it is, Bill. And that's life. What can I do?